0: My name is JT and I'm one of the pastoral interns here at McLean. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 16 and we'll read the whole chapter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I say to the Lord, oops, sorry, I skipped a verse. Let me restart. <laughs> Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land...
1: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is David, and I'll add my welcome to those of you in the sanctuary, to those of you in the fellowship hall, and to those of you watching on the live stream. We are really glad that you are with us today because it is summer. Summer has started, so school is out, and some of you have already taken vacations, and some of you are dreaming about vacations this summer, and perhaps some of you will even have A little bit more margin in your life to do some things that you've wanted to do but haven't had the time to do this last year. I hope that describes some of your hopes for this summer. And today, like we did last summer, we want to take just one sermon to consider how we ought to approach this summer. And Psalm 16 is a perfect psalm to do that. So we'll consider uh, this psalm today, and then we'll start a new secret series uh, next week when James will be back in the pulpit. But as we do before every sermon, let's pray and ask God to lead us and to open our eyes and to open our hearts to hear his voice today. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time Help this to be way more than just an intellectual exercise, but help us to worship you as we hear from you through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, there are some words that just don't seem to go together. Accurate estimate, jumbo shrimp, or enjoying God. You know, Merriam-Webster describes enjoyment as taking satisfaction or pleasure in, or maybe you could simply describe enjoyment as happiness. And if we're honest in this room, probably many of us don't associate God and enjoyment. Enjoyment especially if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, you probably think of God and pleasure as being two completely different and opposite things. Over here is God, and over here is fun. And if you think that God even exists, you might imagine that he is like that nine-year-old with that magnifying glass above an anthill, that he exists simply to make you miserable. (laughs) But let me ask you this. How many of you who wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian are actually happy today? Well, if you participated in the recent Harris poll, uh, according to them, only one in three Americans describe themselves as happy. You know, when I was graduating uh, from high school, those of you who just finished up your senior year, I can distinctly remember that God was over here. I knew He existed. And pleasure and fun were over there, and I didn't know how to bring those two things together. So if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, you probably wouldn't connect enjoying something with God. But I think even if you describe yourself as a Christian today, many of you, including myself, perhaps don't associate enjoyment with God. When we think about God, we think about things like obedience and God. We think about fearing God. We might even think about trusting in God. But many of us don't associate enjoyment or pleasure or satisfaction with God. And it's not like we don't know how to enjoy things, right? We know how to enjoy vacations. We know how to enjoy fine food. We know how to enjoy Stanley Cup championships. Thank you, Ovi. But many of us don't know how to enjoy God. I remember really thinking this for the first time when I was about six years old and I went to overnight Christian summer camp for the first time. And it blew me away because I was with Christians and it was fun. And for the first time, it was like, hey, I'm not associating God with uncomfortable pews, with cheap carpets, and having to be quiet in church. I solved that problem by becoming a preacher. It's the one way that you can talk in church. And so if you have trouble, or if your kids have trouble being quiet in church, welcome. Just become a preacher. You can talk the entire service. It's amazing. Most of us in this room don't associate enjoyment with God. But I want you to know this. Here at MPC, we believe that enjoyment and God go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. And I'm grateful for books and sermons that have reinforced this in my life by Blaise Pascal and Jonathan Edwards and John Piper and Sam Storms. And if you've never ever thought about this concept, if you have a summer reading list and you should put Desiring God on that list and you should enjoy that book this summer. I'm also grateful for our MPC vision statement. We have an agenda for you here. We Believe something about the meaning of life. And you know what it is? We believe that we exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, we're not that smart. We didn't come up with that on our own. Where does that come from? Westminster Shorter Catechism Question One What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Some of you have been catechized. <laughs> we believe that here at MPC. And we pray and work to that end that we would be a people who glorify God in everything that they do and enjoy him forever. So that's what we're going to consider this morning. We're going to ask that question. If that is why we are here, then how do we enjoy God this summer? I invite you to spend just a few moments in Psalm 16, Considering that question with three primary answers. How do we enjoy God this summer? The first is very simple. You enjoy God, are you ready? By enjoying the person. Look with me at verses one and two. It says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, if you're reading the introduction there in Psalm 16, you see that the psalmist was likely David. And as you listen to the entire psalm being read, you could hear that he was in difficult circumstances in this moment. Commentators are sort of divided about what was happening in his life. Was he fleeing from Saul when he wrote this psalm? Or was he just simply near the end of his life? Either one that you pick or whichever context you think David was in, it was difficult circumstances for him. Life was not easy in this moment for David. And what does he say? He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And he says later in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Now think about that. David's not in the palace right now, or if he is, he's on the verge of death. He's likely in a cave. And he's saying that the line has fallen for me in pleasant places, even in difficult circumstances. I am enjoying God. Now, that's hard for me to do. And I imagine that's hard for you to do. To enjoy God when life doesn't make sense. In the middle of living in a fallen world where sometimes it's just not easy, how can we enjoy God? Well, I think David really helps us out here. He reminds us that we are to enjoy the person of God. For you see, in these first two verses, he dwells on the character of God, He does so by calling God by three different names. The first of which is in verse one. He says, preserve me, O God. It's Hebrew for El, which is the most common name for God, which means mighty one or strong one. Preserve me, O mighty, strong God. And then in verse two, he uses another name for God. He says, I say to the Lord, Lord, all caps there, indicates that's the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. That's the name that God gave to Moses when he says, Who are you? And he says, I am Yahweh. I am the God who makes promises, and I am the God that keeps promises. I am the God that says, I will be a God to you and to your children. It's the personal name of God. He's not only powerful, he's not only mighty but he's a personal God. And then he uses a third title of God in verse two. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. And what he means in there, he is saying that the God of Israel, this powerful God, this covenant God, is also his king. You see, even in difficult circumstances, when life doesn't make sense, David is dwelling on the character of God. He is rehearsing in his mind that God is the most powerful, most loving, and most sovereign being in the universe, and that brings him comfort. He is saying that God is his refuge in all circumstances. Before the Apostle Paul was saying it, David was. In all circumstances, I can praise the Lord. You know, that's what we've done throughout this worship service. As we've sung that God is glorious and mighty, we have rehearsed his strength. We've sung about that he is a redeemer who makes covenant promises, and we have sung that he is our gracious master and our king. Enjoying God then is not enjoying just a concept, an idea, or a thing but a person. Now that's simple. But if I'm honest, it's difficult because God is a spirit and has not a body like man. But he's not like some abstract thing like the force in Star Wars. <laughs> Since the beginning of time there has been father, son, and holy spirit. So how do you enjoy God? You enjoy God by enjoying him as a person. Take that down just to a human level. Last week, my wife and I celebrated our 11th anniversary, and so we've gotten to know each other over these last 11 years. I know her, right? And she knows me, and I trust her character. Why? Because I have these data points that she's good and that she loves me. So when I'm driving back from Atlanta and she says, hey, I've got a surprise for you. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do, but trust me, I can. Why? Because I know her character, and I know she loves me. And so even though I don't know what's going to happen, I can respond with trust. You see, it's the same way. We enjoy God as a person as we get to know him. That's your task this summer. Get to know God. God. Now, that can seem like a pretty big assignment, right? Hey, I want you to take this summer to get to know the God of the universe. Well, how do we do that? It's like the old saying, or the old question, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Same thing this summer. How do you get to know the God of the universe? You get to know him like you do any person Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spend time with him. Take 10 minutes whenever you have that opportunity this summer to get to know him through his word, to talk about him with your friends, with your spouse, to talk about him in your community group. Get to know who he is, and as you do, you will enjoy God as a person. So the first thing that we learn from Psalm 16 about enjoying God is we enjoy him as a person But the second thing that we learn from David in this psalm, the way that we enjoy God is not only as a person, but we can also enjoy him for his gifts. Now, that's what happens in verses 3 through 8. David lists a lot of the gifts that he's experienced in his life with this God of the universe. Let me point out a few of them. In verse 3, he writes, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. Do you know who the saints are? It's the people of God. And David is saying that he enjoys God by relating to the people of God. It's one of my favorite things about being a pastor is spending time with the people of God and enjoying God by enjoying them. You may remember last fall our sermon series was about experiencing the love of of God. So as a staff, this last year, we have staff devotions about twice a month, and each of our staff were assigned a particular day to share about how they were experiencing the love of God in their life. And I gotta tell you, it was awesome. To hear how they have experienced God in their lives enabled me to enjoy God more through the people of God. So this summer, as you travel, Go on vacation. Enjoy it. And whenever you're in town, be with the people of God. Show up for worship. Engage in your community groups. Be involved in missions. And as you enjoy the people of God, you will also enjoy the person of God. Now, there's another gift in here that David mentions that he enjoys. And this next gift that David enjoys is in verse 5. He writes, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. If you're going to memorize one verse of scripture, memorize that one this summer. Go ahead and mark that in your pew Bible as we do. Underline that verse. That's the key verse in Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The psalmist enjoys God By recognizing the the provision of God. What does chosen portion mean? It means that as we choose to pursue and to seek after God, he alone will fulfill us. If God fills our cup, get this, your career will be important, but it will be subordinate to God. If God fills our cup, our family is important, but the lack of one doesn't crush us. If God fills our cup, our health is important, but when it fails us, we will grieve as those with hope. Friends, this is something that God's been beating into my life uh, ever since I was born. That I have to work hard to understand that there are so many things in life that I love. I love my family. And I feel very blessed. I love my job. I love to preach. But get this. I love my job. I love my family. But they are not my life. Jesus is my life. He alone is my portion. He alone is my cup. All the things that we seek, love, significance, and approval, can only ultimately be found in him. Let him be your chosen portion This summer, David rejoices in the provision of God. Now, look down at verse 6. He says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The psalmist enjoys God by resting in the gift of the providence of God. That's what it means when it says, The lines have fallen. It means that in God there are no accidents. Now, I don't know about you, but I I have expectations about my summer. And yet, many of us may end up being disappointed by our summer and not actually enjoying it as you compare your summer vacations to everyone else's on Instagram. You know what will kill your joy this summer? Is envy. If all we can see is what we do not have, then we will be unable to enjoy the Lord. One of the ways that we combat this in the Stevenson household is something that my wife introduced to our family. She didn't come up with it, but it's something when we gather around our family dinner table, we go around every day and we do our rose, thorn, and bud. Now, it's not gardening, but what we do is each of us at our dinner table, we go around and we share what our rose is. What was our favorite thing of the day? What did we enjoy about today? And then we talk about our thorn because we acknowledge we live in a fallen world, so what did we not enjoy about our day? And then our bud is something that we look forward to, we share. What's something that we're looking forward to tomorrow or the next week or this summer? And that helps us rehearse the providence of God, his blessings in our life. And friends, there are gonna be days when it's hard to point out roses in your life, you're gonna have some of those soul-shaking days. And that's where the last part of this verse is so helpful. It says, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Friends, remember that even on your darkest days, that we have an inheritance that can never spoil, that can never perish, that can never fade that is kept in heaven for us by the Lord. There's a fourth gift in here that I do want to highlight, verses seven and eight. Uh, The psalmist writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The psalmist enjoys God here by rehearsing the precepts of God. It's the counsel of the Lord that comes through his word and his spirit. One of our deacons who was ordained and installed this morning shared with me after the service, he said, you know, this last year of of training and studying God's precepts and theology has been a great year for me because I've really learned to enjoy God more by studying his word. Friends, friends, If God is all-wise and if God is all-loving, then we believe that in God's word and as we follow it, there is joy and there is life and there is delight. One of the gifts that we have are the precepts or the word of God. Friends, enjoying God means enjoying his gifts. A friend sent me a note about the gifts of God from Philip Yancey's book, Soul Survivor. I don't know if any of you have read it, but one of his chapters is on a man named G.K. Chesterton, and in the course of his writing, Yancey shared this about uh, Chesterton, one of his views. He said, Chesterton viewed this world as sort of a cosmic shipwreck. A person in search of meaning resembles a, sa- uh, a sailor who awakens from a deep sleep And discovers treasure strewn about. Relics from a civilization he can barely remember. One by one he picks up the relics. Gold coins, a compass, fine clothing. And he tried to discern their meaning. Fallen humanity lives in such a state. Good things on earth. The natural world. Beauty, love, joy. They still bear traces of their original purpose. But amnesia mars the image of God in us. Later, Yancey would write, where does pleasure come from? After searching alternatives, Chesterton settled on Christianity as the only reasonable explanation for its existence in the world. Listen to this line. Moments of pleasure are the remnants washed ashore from a shipwreck. Bits of paradise extended through time. Gifts in your life Gifts in my life, beauty, those are bits of paradise extended through time. In other words, clues to the existence and the beauty of God. So how do you enjoy God this summer? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do this summer, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you're out barbecuing, whether you're sipping sweet tea, whether you're eating ice cream, connect the gifts to the hand of God. Whether you're swimming in the lake, whether you're walking on the beach, connect those gifts to the glory of God. Whether you show up tonight and dunk your pastors in the dunk take, do it all to the glory of God. We enjoy God by enjoying the gifts that he has given to us. Trace the sunbeams to the sun. Connect the blessings of God to the God who loves us. That's our goal. Enjoy God means enjoying his gifts. So enjoy God as a person, enjoy God's gifts. And then finally, our third and last point, we enjoy what he has done. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is David getting at? David is getting at eternal life. He and the Old Testament saints knew something about eternal life. But get this, we know even more about eternal life than David because this psalm points prophetically to Jesus. In the New Testament, there were two great sermons preached on Psalm 16. Both Peter and Paul preached a sermon on Psalm chapter 16. Peter preached on it at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And he says that these verses speak about Christ. He says, you see, David died. He was buried and he's in his tomb. But then he talks about the son of David who was died and was buried. But his tomb is empty. You see, Paul also preaches on this when he preaches to the saints At Antioch in Acts chapter 13, he says that David died and his body saw corruption or decay, but that this psalm, chapter 16, verse 10, is talking about Jesus, that he died and his body saw no corruption, resurrection. And Paul concludes his sermon in Acts 13, 38, saying, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man Jesus Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Enjoying God means enjoying the Savior and your salvation. I don't know if any of you saw this story last week uh, in Newsweek, but there was a story about a five-year-old boy who was in a community center for a wedding, and he knocked over a sculpture. And there's a video of it. And as he bumped this sculpture, sculpture, it started to wobble. This five-year-old boy tried to pop it up or uh, prop it up, but he didn't have the strength, and so it fell over and crashed into a bunch of pieces on the floor. The family was then billed $132,000 uh, because they were unable to repair the sculpture. And one of the things that, that broke my heart, it also resonated with me because I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old, and I was like, this could very easily be me. We're not going to any more museums ever, right? But one of the things that made me so sad, it said that the little five-year-old boy, the mom said, he's having bad dreams every night, And this family is trying to figure out how to foot the bill. Now, in this same story in Newsweek, it also shared a similar incident that happened back in 2005 in a museum in the UK. And there was another five-year-old little boy. And he knocked over over a a 200-year-old jug. And as it fell to the floor, it shattered into 60 pieces or more. And I love the response of this museum because this museum said, hey, we're glad you were here. Please come back and visit again. Now, that was a beautiful story to me because don't get me wrong, it's justice to pay for something that you broke. But it's beautiful grace to have someone else absorb the cost and to be invited back. You know that's the story of the Bible, right? That you and I live in creation and we broke something infinitely more valuable than a jug or a sculpture. And when it wobbled and when it fell over, it didn't just shatter into 60 different pieces. It broke into so many more. And like the people in this story, we don't have the resources to pay For the damage that we have done but like this museum in the second story someone has absorbed the cost for us and not only are we said you don't have to pay for it you're freed from the penalty but we invite you to come back and to visit again friends that's the gospel we've broken something infinitely more valuable we have a debt we can't pay Jesus has paid it for us, and we are invited back into his presence. Enjoying God means enjoying your salvation. Now, I don't do that very well. I don't know what your default mode is, but my default mode is to dwell on my sin, not my Savior. When I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed in the evening, most of the time I feel like a failure. I feel like a failure as a parent. I should have been more patient. I feel like a failure as a spouse. I should have been more sacrificial. I feel like a failure sometimes as a worker. I didn't do everything perfectly. It's easy to rehearse my sin. It is ever before me. But friends, are you enjoying, am I enjoying my salvation? Is it ever before me? One of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture is Zephaniah 3.17, which says, The Lord will rejoice over us with singing. See, in the morning when I wake up, and in the evening when I'm rehearsing my failures, He's singing songs of praise over me. Enjoying God means knowing that He enjoys us. Friends, That's our assignment this summer. Enjoy God. Enjoy him as a person. Enjoy his gifts and enjoy his salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, would you enable us to do this? Would you enable us to get to know you, the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Father, would you enable us to see the gifts that you have given to us in our lives And Father, would you enable us to rejoice in the salvation that is ours through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to do this for your glory, for our pleasure, and for the benefit of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.